And what a wonderful passage of God's grace Don's read for us. I'm going to ask you to turn there, if you would, in your Bibles now to our text, Ephesians chapter 2. And again, if you're using a Bible that's provided for you, that's uh, page 976 of those uh, Bibles. Uh, we do remember to pray for those who are away from us. Of course, we know that it is uh, spring break time for a lot of folks and so many uh, from our church family traveling. And great to see you today. I thought I'd see more green here today. Uh, I've seen a lot of orange. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you knew perhaps that much about, uh, you know, church history. That actually in England and Scotland and uh, Holland, other areas on this day, uh, the Protestants wear orange. So I, I didn't know how well versed some of you were in church history <laughs> celebrating this <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to get in the Word of God, and um, I've already had a couple of people come and say something about one o'clock, okay? <laughs> and you know, that's just pushing me the wrong way, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, John. I, I, I appreciate that from a Kentucky fellow, okay? All right. <laughs> All right. For our guests today, we apologize. I want you to know. As I read the text this week and prayed about it, thought about it, there were two scenes that came to my mind. Um, one, I could see in my mind's eye a scene that I was watching on television. Maybe you were as well, if you're old enough to... Remember that date, June 12th, 1987. June 12th, 1987. Our president at that time, Ronald Reagan, was standing in Berlin before crowds of thousands upon thousands, standing before the Berlin Wall, and he made a declaration that uh, still is remembered, a declaration to the Soviet premier. You remember what he said? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yes, we remember that. What a great, great moment that was. But even greater was the scene that came to my mind's eye as I reflected on another event that I witnessed about six years after that in March of 1993. Susan and I were blessed to make uh, the first trip to Israel. We went with a, a group of people. We did not know any on that bus, uh, but many became lifelong friends, actually some here as members uh, today. But on that trip, I remember us on a Saturday morning sitting in a community center in Jerusalem. Congregation numbered about a hundred. And they're singing praises to Jesus, the Messiah, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the Spirit of the Living God was a congregation made up of Jewish people, 
Palestinian people, Russians, Romanians, yes, and a few Americans. And the thought came to my mind then as I saw them greeting each other, exchanging the kiss of peace. I thought then, wow, Jesus has torn the walls down. Jesus has torn the walls down because there, in perhaps the most divided piece of real estate on the face of the earth, there in a city that God said in the latter days would become a boiling pot among the nations, I saw around me and I experienced a peace A peace that is so powerful because it's a peace that breaks down all barriers. The peace that comes from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. I thought about that scene. And then I also thought about so often how I've had to go back to that scene and go back to this passage of Scripture when many, many times I have felt in my own heart being revealed by the Spirit, old sinful barriers still existing, still needing to be knocked down, maybe new barriers coming up in my heart that the Lord would reveal that do not please Him. And I could almost hear and did hear in my spirit the Lord just saying, my child, tear down this wall. Tear down this wall. Because you see, that's what the gospel of reconciliation does. The gospel of reconciliation tears down walls. It tears down the greatest of all walls. The walls between sinners and a sinless God. Torn down through Jesus Christ. And also, the power of the reconciling gospel of Jesus Christ also tears down walls that have existed for time immemorial in people's hearts toward other people. Jesus tears down the wall. And that's what the gospel of reconciliation also does. We've been talking about the gospel of reconciliation in in reference to our missions work as we had our missions conference and also as we've talked about this wonderful gospel of salvation where the wall between us and God comes down in Christ. But friends, I want you to know that that wall-breaking power of Jesus in the gospel is not just a historical fact that took place on the cross But of us who know him, it should be a living reality. A living reality. And so this morning we want to think about what God says to us as his children when he says, tear down that wall. Tear down that wall. And my prayer is this morning that some walls that have existed maybe For generations, maybe, for people's relationships, those walls will come down by God's power today. Now, notice, if you would, in this text, 
Paul is talking about walls. And he is talking about walls that have existed for hundreds of years. And he is describing here in this passage that Don read. He's describing a terrible alienation. A terrible alienation that existed between Jewish people and Gentile people. He's talking about the the greatest of human divisions. And this wall permeated the society in the first century, the society in which Paul lived, in society in which Jesus lived and did his ministry. There was this complete alienation between Jewish people and Gentile people. Now, Paul, who's the at one time the most Jewish Jew you could possibly be, he, he's writing about the racial alienation that was his own, in his own heart and sadly still existed in the Judaism of that day. He says here that there was a spiritual arrogance in his heart at one time as a very Judaistic rabbi. And he said it was, it was like a spiritual arrogance. Notice verse 11. He says, at one time, you Gentiles who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, meaning the Jews, which is made in the flesh. He's talking about how the Gentiles were called the uncircumcision because the Jewish people called themselves the the circumcision. And by that, they meant that they were a marked people. That their forefather, Abraham, had been marked by God physically and that his descendants were to bear this mark and that the mark meant that they were a a special people, they thought. And so, in a very strange way, over the centuries, this this sense of, of elitism that had come into the faith of Abraham, this physical sign of the faith of Abraham had actually become a a mark of of racism in many ways. And it was not the mark of the real spirit of God in a person's heart. God's purpose for the Jewish people was to be a channel of blessing. But over the centuries, actually, the faith of Abraham had descended into such legalism that this channel of blessing had become a channel of cursing. Just to show you how racially divided this had become in Judaism at that time, here are some things that were actually taught by rabbis in Jesus' day and in Paul's day. They taught that the Gentiles were dogs. That was the term given to them, dogs. They taught, rabbis taught, that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Rabbis taught that it was unlawful for a Jewish person to help a Gentile woman if the pains of childbirth came upon upon her. 
They should not help deliver another Gentile into the world. It was considered to be sinful for a Jewish person even to enter a Gentile home. Now friends, this is not what God had in mind when he said that he wanted his people, the descendants of Abraham, to be a light to the nations. This is not what he had in mind. The Jewish people were an example of alienation racially, but the Gentile people, now notice Paul starts referring to the Gentiles when he words, uses the word you. Do you notice the, word, the use of the word you beginning in verse 12? He's talking about the Gentiles. And he says you were spiritually alienated. For centuries the Gentile people had lived kingdom after kingdom of a history of just oppression. And much of that oppression had been directed at the Jewish people. Humanly, you could understand why the Jewish people detested the Gentile people because all they had ever known from the Gentile people was oppression. The Gentiles... Spiritually, we're the have-nots. They thought they ruled, but they were really spiritually the have-nots. Look at verse 12. Paul says, remember that you were at that time, you Gentiles at that time before Jesus, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and with out God in the world. Now, does that sound like alienation? Notice the withouts. Notice how completely alienated the Gentile people in their pagan worship, how alienated they were from God. They were without Christ. That means they were without the Messiah. The word Christ here is Greek word for Messiah. They were without Christ. They were without citizenship. They were not part of the citizenship of the congregation of Israel. They were without the covenants. That meant they were strangers to the covenants that had been made with Abraham and had been made by Moses with the nation. They were without hope. There was just a dark, dark atmosphere over the whole Roman world at that time of cynicism and despair. One philosopher of Rome said this, quote, life is a road to nothingness, close quote. Life is a road to nothingness. Sounds like a lyric of some of the songs today. They were without Christ, without citizenship, without the covenants, without hope, and they were without God. They had gods beyond number. Every imaginable kind of God. Paganism was just a, a pantheon of God. And they actually built, a hundred years after this, a huge temple in Rome that you can still see to this day called the Pantheon to all the gods. And though they had all these gods and goddesses, 
They were godless. They didn't know the true God, the God of heaven and earth. They were alienated. What an awful world. A world of terrible alienation, of hatred, bigotry, racism, fanaticism. How times change, right? Hatred, bigotry, racism, fanaticism. How hopeless, how hopeless is a world like that? But it's not hopeless with God, right? He's the God of hope. Because into that world, what happened? Into that world of complete alienation between God and man and man and man. Between mankind and God. And that world of alienation came a divine intervention. God himself came. God himself came into the chaos to bring an incredible reconciliation. And that's what I want you to see. That in Christ, God has come to bring reconciliation. Jesus brought to the world by his radical grace both personal and relational reconciliation. And they go together. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ and his salvation brings personal reconciliation and it also brings this relational reconciliation. Now notice, he, verse 13 Paul talks about the personal reconciliation. He talks about how these Gentiles have been reconciled to God. And notice he starts verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles. And he's writing to the church of Ephesus. That's the reason this letter is called Ephesians. The church of Ephesus was for the most part, the vast part, a Gentile church in Asia Minor modern-day Turkey, near the city town of Izmir. He writes to them, and he says, You, you Gentiles, through Christ you were far off, but you've now been brought near. How have they been brought near? The only way anybody can be brought near to God is by the blood of Christ. Amen. By the blood of Christ. Of the Messiah. Through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We talked about that last Sunday. He said it is finished. From the cross. And that curtain in the temple. Separating God and man. Was rent in two. Top from bottom. And a holy God saying now you may come to me and draw near to me and be with me once again in perfect relationship if you come by way of my son. That is personal reconciliation. And my friend, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever come to God 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever come to God as a sinner and approached Him and asked for His mercy and salvation in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ? Friend, the Bible says that all who come to Him in the name of Jesus, He will not cast them out. And He won't cast you out today. You may feel as far from God as can be imagined today, but I want you to know you're not too far that Jesus did not span that gulf. And you can come back. You can come to God in the name of Jesus by faith in Him this very moment. But this personal reconciliation, notice what it brings. And I want them to put the focus here, if I might, for our time remaining. It brings a relational reconciliation. A relational reconciliation. Christ's mission is a mission of what? Peace. What did the angels sing the night that Jesus was born? Peace on earth. Peace. The Prince of Peace has been born. He's come to make personal reconciliation, but he's also come to create peace. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the dead to create something brand new. Something completely and totally new. What was it? He came to bring a brand new faith. A brand new faith. Verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. It's not your religion is your peace. He Himself is our peace. Who has made us. Who's that? Us. Jews and Gentiles. Who've been alienated. He's made us both one. And has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did it by abolishing the law of commandments. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law in keeping God's law perfectly. And He fulfilled the law in accepting the curse for sinners. And He set the law aside by fulfilling it. And in setting aside the law that separated Jews and Gentiles, he made them who came to him one new family, one new faith. Now when Paul talks about a wall of division, do you see that here? He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to know he's referring Yes, to an internal wall, a spiritual wall, but also a physical wall that, that existed at that time that represented the spiritual wall between Jews and Gentiles. You see, when Paul wrote these words, you could go to Jerusalem. And if you traveled to Jerusalem, you could see one of the wonders of the world, the Temple of Herod. On top of Mount Zion, still being built, just about this time being finished. It only existed, completed for seven years before the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. 
But you could go there and you know what? You would see this golden covered building sitting on the top of Mount Zion, surrounded by courts of marble, glistening in the sun with the, the jewels, precious stones that were put into the very walls of the temple, glistening. Now, if you saw that temple, you would see a court around the temple, the first court up on top of the hill, and that was the court of the priest. Only the priest could go in there. A person would come and offer their lamb or their sacrifice. The priest would take it and inside of that courtyard was the altar and they would offer the sacrifice before the entrance to the temple on that altar. That was the court of the priest. Outside of that court, a few steps down, was another larger court and it was called the court of Israel. And this is where the male Jewish people, the males, the men could come this far and they could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then outside of that court, there was a larger court. It was called the court of the women. And there's where the women of Israel would come. And inside that courtyard is also where the treasury was. And people would come and make their offerings to God. So coming down this hill was the temple, the court of the priest, then the court of Israel, the men, then the court of the women. And then at the bottom was this beautiful, beautiful court with a colonnade running around the side. And it was the court of the nation. That is where people who were not Jewish could come and they could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that court. And there were, according to Josephus, the first century historian, 16 steps that went up to the court of the women, separating the court of the women from the court of the nation. And across the top of those steps was a beautiful balustrade that separated like a fence, but much more ornate. The temple, the, the courtyard of the women from the court of the Gentiles. But here's what Josephus says was written on a tablet at each entrance into the court of the women. And they have discovered many of these in archaeology. A sign that said... No Gentile may go beyond this gate. If he does, he will be responsible for his death, which will immediately take place. Now, how would you like to be welcome to worship like that? Paul is talking about what? Verse 14. The dividing wall of hostility. The haves and the have not. Those who are near, those who are far away. But God sent His Son on a mission. And let me tell you what God's message was to His Son when He sent His Son into this world. His message was, My Son, tear down that wall. Amen. Tear down that wall. And make 
once again, a new family for me, a new humanity. Abolish this, my son. And that's what Jesus did. Verse 15, he abolished the law of command expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Christ created a new faith. A new faith no longer in the Old Testament ordinances of the law, but he fulfilled the law. And now in him the law has been set aside and there's a new covenant that's been made. A covenant that's been made in his own blood on the cross. And now he's been lifted up so that all people might come to him, Jews and Gentiles alike. And in this new faith, notice, he will make a new family. Verse 15, a new family that he might create, verse 15, in himself one new man or one new humanity in place of two, no longer Jew and Gentile, but a new humanity so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God, Jews and Gentiles, both reconciled to God in his one body that he gave on the cross. And he died on that cross to kill something. By his death, Jesus put to death all the barriers that exist in the new humanity, the family of God. Brand new family. A new kind of family. The word here, new, doesn't mean new in time. It means brand new. It's never existed before. <laughs> it was no surprise that Gentiles might become believers in the God of Abraham and Isaac. Well, people knew that. But that Jews and Gentiles would become one new family in Messiah no one ever knew that. Why? Because it was a mystery hidden in God until he revealed it in his son Jesus and made it known through the Apostle Paul. This is an incredible reconciliation. But now, just for a few minutes, as I close now, but don't Close your Bibles or close your ears because this doesn't become actual until it becomes real in practice in our hearts. God does not want His children talking about a theoretical unity. He wants his children practicing a literal spiritual unity. May I ask a couple of questions? Probing personal questions. One, ask yourself. I'm asking you to ask yourself. Do you really celebrate in your heart? 
key word, celebrate. Do you celebrate in your heart the wall-busting power of the gospel of Christ? Do you celebrate it? I mean, is one of the joys of being a Christian for you that you celebrate the wall-busting power of Jesus Christ? Number two, ask yourself, do you recognize and repent? Recognize and repent of those sinful walls that you have permitted to remain in your heart? Sinful walls. As long as you think about them, as long as you think about these walls as your family heritage, or as long as you think about these walls as your personal hang-up, or as long as you think about these walls as a result of pain that came to you in your past, the wall will never come down. But as you recognize and repent of the sinful walls you have permitted to remain in your heart toward others, how can you truly know the freedom of the love of Jesus? What barriers are we allowing to exist in our hearts? What walls need to come down? Selfish walls, sinful walls, could I ask? What about racial walls? Friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. According to the word of God, there is only one race. It's the human race. The human race. The apostle Paul preached it on Mars Hill in Athens. He said... He has made of one blood all the nations of the earth. There's only one race. The human race. The human race. We need to judge a sin racism in our hearts. Dare we read a passage like this? Dare we read a passage like this and live by the philosophy of separate but equal? Dare we? That law was judged unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of the United States in the 1950s. But I want to tell you that idea of separate but equal was judged by the Supreme Court ages ago as sinful and wrong. Separate but equal is not reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Dare we let the same lips that offer prayer and praise to God Offer up racial slurs and racial jokes. Oh, we've all done that. May we hear it in ourselves and hear it in others for what it is. A sin. It's a rebuilding of walls. It's not funny. 
Will we declare that these racial walls will not have a place in this church? Will we declare and will we stand for that? Will we even, if necessary, oppose other brothers and sisters that we love if they dare let racism taint their hearts and their relationships with others here? Will we ask God to reveal and remove any racial walls that keep us from expressing the colorblind love of God? How about cultural walls? Is your spirit America for the Americans? You better read your history book and find out who the first Americans were. Learn the language or leave the country. These immigrants are taking away our job. Does that spirit fulfill what Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself? Perhaps the cultural wall is more subtle. And yes, we can sometimes chuckle, and I'm certain in good-natured fun, but we need to make sure it's fully understood that it's being made fun of. What am I talking about? Well, I'll give you an example. One time years ago, a woman out here at the back said, Pastor Sam, I need you to pray for me. I'm having a terrible, terrible problem with one of the employees. We just can't seem to get along with him. It's just terrible and I said, I will pray about that. And next week she said, oh, pastor, I've had breakthrough and understanding about it. I've been set free. I said, what's happened? She said, I understood. He's just a Yankee. <laughs> That's it. What if he's just a redneck? Do we allow religious walls to divide us? Friends, listen, we may not cross our T's and dot our I's the same with every denomination. Denominations on issues that are not fundamental have differences of understanding of some of the finer things of application of Bible truth. That's, that's understandable. But I want you to know, my friends, if someone believes this book and believes in the blood of Jesus Christ and calls him Lord, those folks, they're not our competition. They're our colleagues and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, I want to tell you, God has many congregations, but listen to me. He has one church on this earth. Every person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is our brother and sister. Political walls? Oh my. Yeah, that's right. The gospel of reconciliation will help you with politics because you'll be reminded as you read this book God is not a Republican, and God's not a Democrat.
God has a corner on the truth, though. And truth is not found in any political party. Truth is found in the God of truth. And when you see someone standing for truth, you better stand with them and not ask who they voted for the last election. Economic walls. Jesus said to remember the poor. Too often in America, we remember our property values. How shameful it is to view a person in your neighborhood as how they're impacting your property value rather than seeing a soul that is made in the image of God and for whom Christ died and someone that you are to love. How, how powerful is the gospel of reconciliation? Friends, listen, the good Samaritan that Jesus used as an example of love, he had to cross a lot of barriers when he took care of that man in the road. And the two religious men, the priest and the Levite, wouldn't dirty their hands. What about generational walls? We've got to deal with this. I have seen nothing so divisive in the evangelical church of the United States than this in the last years. I am so sick of hearing baby boomer buster millennial and I'm tired of people trying to have church based on such man-centered division how can it be that a church would say and think it's Good, this isn't your grandmama's kind of church. That's a shameful, sinful thing to say. You better thank God for a grandma that knew Jesus. And I want to say also to some gray hairs. (laughs) Mine's shining up here. It's terrible to judge the younger generation. Because their music doesn't sound like your music. They don't dress the way you dress. They think a little differently because of the way their brains were wired with such incredible knowledge through the internet. Yes, but cannot the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit bring together a body of believers who don't? care anything about generational differences out there we are the family of God this is a family reunion every Sunday morning I have some feelings about that I'm sorry and it's not just because don't you dare say baby boomer to me it's Sunday it's Sunday but I'll lay hands on you I want to tell you, 
I've told staff members, I've been telling for 20 years, I thank God for the wonderful young staff members. I thank God. I, I was one there once, a long time ago. Guess what? We all get old. And you know what will happen 20 years from now if we don't deal with this madness? Churches will be saying, we're not that millennial kind of church. Your grandma's kind of church. Listen, we are the generations of the people of God. we got to unite. We can't let differences that are so minor divide us. Because, verse 17, he came, thank God, and he preached what? Peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The power of his love. Amen.